Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast, Sport and Life. Ed Draper with you once again, sports broadcaster with a big interest in health and fitness here in the UK in Cheltenham. Appreciate you hitting on the button. Thank you as ever to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Always stress that through that sister company, brother company, however you look at it, Serene AV, they can source you whatever equipment you're looking for to complete your home entertainment system. Not only the, the beautiful Bang Olufsen equipment that you can find in their store in Montpellier, in the heart of Cheltenham, here in the west of England, but worth contacting them through BO underscore Cheltenham if you have maybe a slightly different vision, different budget, whatever it may be. Jason Briggs and his team will do their best to help you out or Google Bang Olufsen Cheltenham, get their number as well, give them a call. Uh, also, thank you to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company for their association with the podcast. We've been using the supplements for 20 plus years under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's a GP doctor, but also a micronutritionist in particular, fascination he has with trace elements like selenium and zinc, and those are a part of the sort of multivitamins, vitamins he's consulted with at Cytoplan. We all still pay for the supplements, albeit at a discount rate. If you are looking to supplement or try something, maybe it's vitamin D3, vitamin D3. Maybe if you're a woman, it's uh, iron that you may need to look at, whatever it may be. I, I'm certainly not a medical practitioner, but if you want to have a look at their, their range, you can go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. I take the Immune Complete 2 multivitamin or vitamin from uh, Cytoplan and fish oil on a daily basis. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, there is a 30% discount on first purchase in association with the podcast, 10% thereafter. And the code at checkout for that is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Well, let's get on to the podcast. This uh, is a really impressive woman, Kimberly Penner, a mother during lockdown, but more importantly, a dance. Not more importantly, that's the wrong thing to say. But in terms of the context of the podcast, what I've uh, wanted to talk to her about is dance psychotherapy because she is a dance psychotherapist, involves talking in traditional psychotherapy, but movement and not complex, complicated, detailed dance routines per se, but just getting people who've suffered trauma, who hold that trauma in their body to express it. And I suppose in, in a sense, she talks about the initial skepticism that people may have, particularly here in the UK, with a sense of uh, of dance or movement as a liberating thing to help your mental health. But just that sense we think about all the times in our life when we're young and we're free and we're moving and we're, I guess, getting momentum in life. They, the two can be intertwined, can't they? We talk about neuroplasticity and how you can affect the, the sort of psychological pathways, the, the motor neurons with the movement so you can sort of retroactively release tension in the mind through the body and how tension in the mind can manifest itself in the body so it's a really interesting podcast for someone like myself who's rhythmless in theory just the idea that it doesn't have to be um, a fantastic sort of world award-winning 
dance it can be something just movement that, that can help people and i think mental health is a big issue has been for a long time particularly men's mental health and i'm well aware of the suicide statistics and stuff like that in the uk and other parts of the world as well very high scarily high and how anything we can do to counter that and some of the, the negative aspects of modern life we can go for a long time seemingly with the environment the comfortable environment we have and the pharmaceuticals that keep us alive but how we're missing some of the the health things that our ancestors knew about including movement including dance so great to have kimberly uh, penner on the podcast the one and only Kimberly Penner, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. We're just saying it seems like another lifetime ago that we were doing the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival together back end of 2019. Uh, lots, yeah. lots happened and lots not happened since then with with lockdowns, etc. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, I think I'm slowly transitioning into, you know, we keep hearing this phrase, the new normal. I'm not quite sure how what we define as new normal, but taking my time, taking the journey and seeing where it takes me. It's been um, it's been an interesting one, both professionally and personally, I think. Yeah, when we were speaking at Charter Wellbeing Festival, you said you were, you were smuggling a little one in your, in your <laughs> at the time. How's that been becoming yeah. a mother in this this era? Yeah, um, overwhelming, I think, is the overarching feeling. Obviously, I was pregnant and going into maternity leave with no idea about COVID. It was, you know, my baby was due in April and everything started very much at the end of March, didn't it? So, mm. yeah went blissfully into maternity leave and then a week later the whole thing kicked off so it was a real um I don't even know what the, there are no words to describe that experience of feeling like I was going to have my community my family around me mm -hmm. and then the complete opposite happening I'm a first time mum so it was um it was definitely being plunged into the deep end but equally um such a blessing in many ways my husband had extended paternity leave that he would never have had so the capacity we had to really bond with our daughter and just spend unconditional dedicated time with her was yeah it was an amazing silver lining of the lockdown experience I think for us. It's interesting you say that because a colleague who's been on the podcast actually presenter Joe Wilson at, at Sky Sports one of my colleagues she became a mum for the first time during lockdown she lives in the Cotswolds but she was saying how it, yeah there was a, a sense of of liberation in a way from all the sort of challenges of being a mum in a regular time of having to take your baby everywhere meet lots of people mm -hmm. her family's in Scotland I suppose was there a, a simplicity that for those first couple of months when your world's just turned around to have just the the baby and, you, and your husband to focus on yeah I think I think it really built on our capacity to trust our instincts so obviously we didn't have access to things like healthcare visitors or you know the, the first time a, um, a professional came to, to to meet us you know it was like a scene from ET it was full PPE they had to stand away my husband had oh, to hide wow. upstairs it was just the most so we couldn't we couldn't have that reliance on other it really allowed us to go right we have to be enough because literally we are all we have to support our daughter so yeah I think it really built our capacity to just trust and you know like you said with your colleague it's it was nice to just shut out all of that external noise and just have time to really concentrate on on ultimately what mattered which was bonding and and taking care of ourselves and our daughter simultaneously yeah, absolutely. That PPE can be quite, I think, startling for us, can't it? Even, even subconscious. It's interesting. My aunt's always had breathing problems and there was a panic because she continued to have breathing problems. It might be COVID. So people have sort of uh, hazmat suits rush around to the house and things yeah. like that. My, my dad's been wearing the PPE at work as a, a doctor. So it is a, is a surreal time. Kimberly, tell people what a dance psychotherapist is, what you do as well, because 
I think it's it's better for you to, to try and introduce it than, than myself. It's a really cool thing that we've talked about, but just bring it to life for, yeah. for other people. Sure, I'll take the baton for that one. So, um, so yeah, dance movement psychotherapy. So I guess the best way to explain it is if, if, if listeners are familiar with psychotherapy in its kind of general sense, the idea of a therapist discussing with a client um, difficulties or, or areas of need that need management or need healing, Basically, we work on those principles, but the additional level, instead of just talking about um, our experiences or using words to communicate and find ways to manage, we're using our body and we're exploring movement creatively um, to express ourselves. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but ultimately, sometimes when we are going through very traumatic experiences or we have been through difficult experiences, mm. finding the words to articulate that can be overwhelming. So dance movement psychotherapy really taps into the body and taps into our creative capacity to express ourselves when when genuinely words are hard to find you know I think I think that's the best way to explain it so we're starting at that point of psychotherapy but then we're adding another level and I say another level but ultimately I mean my 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 thoughts and my beliefs about this is that when when we're looking at mental health or physical health we really need to be looking at the whole person in both in both ways so dance movement psychotherapy is to its core the integration of mind body and spirit often we feel a lot of the anxiety stress sadness sometimes within our in our body don't we it's just strange you can yes. have that sort of visceral sensation yeah absolutely and there's been a lot of research um and evidence that has come out in in support of dance movement psychotherapy, supporting those with medically unexplained symptoms. And I think more and more we're understanding that, as you said, our body holds a lot of our emotional content. And until we really tap into the body, some of that emotional turmoil never really, it might be managed, but it never gets processed or healed. And I think there's something about finding our way, not away from it, but through it. Yeah, it, with the dance as well, is it is it is it complicated dance? Because I, I, the sort of thought of it, terrifies me to my soul because I'm aware that I have absolutely no rhythm and I don't want to talk about the nature nurture of that of whether rhythm, rhythm is natural or whether you can learn it but is it something that, that everyone can do that the movements that you prescribe or that you you do with your clients so I just to say you're not alone in that kind of initial response to dance and the concept of dance when it's like a therapy but I think what's helpful to to really take down our preconceived ideas about what dance is I think you know culturally we'll have an idea of what dance is and, and you know this is a, a massive generalization but I think in our western culture dance we kind of see it as a very formalized art form that needs a lot of training and it's very much about the aesthetic but when we take away that social construct dance is really just about expressive movement so like even how I'm using my hands as we're as we're recording this podcast like some could say this is a dance like the way that I'm expressing myself as part of my dance the part the the way that I move to express myself so there are no prescribed steps in dance movement psychotherapy. It's client-led. So some sessions, there is no dance per se, but there might be breath that's being held. And I might say to a client, you know, when you talk about that, I'm really noticing that you're really holding your breath. And I'm just wondering if you're aware of that. And then we might explore, okay, how can we add more flow through breath that might allow us to just take an exhale and find a way of managing some of that building anxiety. So there, so in the simplest answer, there is no prescribed dance movement. It's about expressing yourself and using your body to express, and that becomes dance later on. Does that make sense when I yeah, say it that, that way? It does. Do you feel that there is a sort of, maybe it's a cultural thing in, in the UK in particular, a little bit of anxiety around dance and, and what it signifies. I know people that won't dance at weddings and they get very self-conscious yeah. and unless they're drunk, <laughs> maybe that comes... <laughs> 
comes yeah. out. But is it, do we think as a culture, as a country, we have a bit of a problem with it? Absolutely. Like, yes, the straight answer is yes. Yeah. Um, sort of embarrassment and sort of worry about other people's opinions. And... I mean, I think this goes, I think this goes way back, way back, even to the development of um, the field of psychology at that time, you know, when um, Freud and Carl Jung, maybe not so much within the, the era of Carl Jung, but definitely Sigmund Freud, there was a real um, hesitancy about acknowledging our bodies in general in society. It was a real taboo. You know, if we think about the way that our, our ancestors dressed, you know, it was all about covering up shame of the body and to be more in touch with our primal self, which ultimately movement is, you know, we all children when we're born before we're verbal so yeah. our way of expressing ourselves is through the body but as we prioritize our verbal way of communicating communicating through our bodies was seen as something taboo and very primal and it was very unrefined to use our bodies to express ourselves and so we, there was a big denial of the body and a, and a big um you know I mean the feminist in me is wanting to say that actually the pat patriarchy really suppressed bodies in general that male feminine the body was something full of shame that we needed to avoid and only now are we starting to realize actually we need to integrate our bodies into our lives there's no shame associated with the vessel that we're living in and I think that's a it's a lot of work to be done you know there's still large elements of shame connected to experiencing our bodies and being in touch with our bodies that I think we're only really at the beginning of so yeah I think there's there's a lot to do with our history in terms of the body and movement being a taboo and something that was primal and so we needed to avoid it. Yeah it's interesting you said about the, the patriarchy because do you think that men generally are more anxious about dancing than than women? I don't know because it's family members that I've I mean, had it, are more reluctant to, to go on the dance floor. I mean I think it's probably um I think it probably goes further than that you know if we again massive generalization but as we know statistics show that men are less likely to be um forward in communicating their feelings so if we assume that movement is just another way of communicating mm. our feelings then yeah it goes to say that men may be more um hesitant to to move to dance because it's just another form of expression so like you said noticeably within a club or well not at the moment because as we know the pandemic's yeah. really changed yeah. that but uh, at weddings for example you might see women generally more able to just get up and go um, and men may need a bit more encouragement but again I think that's just to do with our the kind of cultural weight that we're carrying that who expresses and who doesn't express it how do we express and and kind of all of the constructs that create that that tension really. It's interesting to the primal aspect of it and you wonder how much as humans we suffer we've got modern ph pharmaceuticals that keep us alive for for longer than our ancestors but when you mm. look at things that we've we've limited like say movement generally some of the nutrition that that we have and you, you think it's some people that maybe embody some of that primal movement thinking of elvis presley how he shook things up with his, his dancing and things like that beyonce more recently and as yeah. a female artist do you, do you think that we see that in, in in dancers that there is something that evokes that kind of primal side of us I mean, for me, I really um, am a strong advocate that movement really helps us get in touch with our core being, um, which sometimes is really difficult. You know, sometimes you know that question, like, who are we? It's such as an existential question. It's really hard to get in touch. And movement really allows us to kind of tap into that. So, you know, your examples of Elvis Presley and Beyonce, you know, they're really using their bodies to get in touch with who they are. And that comes out through these very... Um, you know, when we think about that, those movements are very, there's almost like their movement signature, like we can all envisage what those movements are and because it's almost like their accent, it's almost mm. like the rhythm of their verbal speech is also portrayed through their bodies.
yeah it's amazing isn't it watching them and you sort of had that envy i think that they are so liberated i remember being you mentioned a wedding i remember being at a wedding in the states and this uh american woman said to me she was almost like you taking the mickey because i was she said you're not dancing anywhere near the beat of the, of the music and i was sort of blissfully unaware what about rhythm and things like that how does that play is that is that sort of uh, almost like a color blindness that some of us have that we don't feel it or, or can you develop a sense of rhythm how do you see that I think, um, again, I think rhythm is, I think rhythm is in some ways complex because when we think about rhythm, we think that we're out of time if we're not, I mean, I love the quote, dance to the rhythm of your own drum, mm. because I think sometimes we think that we're not rhythmical because our rhythm, rhythm doesn't match others or doesn't match the music, but actually rhythm is to do with, you know, to its core is to do with our own heartbeat. So as long as we're connecting like, for example, that example you just gave of you just doing your thing and you feeling great, but your friends saying, what are you doing? And you're not going anywhere near the movement, yeah. <laughs> the movement of the rhythm of the music. Um, but ultimately, like, who's to say that's wrong? And I think mm. that's when we need to start thinking, actually, if it feels good for me, I'm just going to carry on with my own rhythm. I think we we get caught in up into the shoulds and shouldn'ts of how we are, whether that's being how we speak, how we present ourselves, how we move. And I think if we just kind of shift away from some of those levels of expectation, actually, everyone can move because everyone has got their own unique rhythm and it's about giving yourself permission to enter into that yeah that freedom is is really interesting it's picking up on um something I actually heard bizarrely in the personal training world i think it's a guy called mortison i can't remember his name but he trains a lot of the hollywood stars like daniel craig people like that for for james bond and he was saying that a lot of his routines are actually almost child-based as like climbing frames running around the, you know just a bit of fun and it's when i watch my daughter how much she absolutely adores just dancing and she's got she's got a rib, ribbon now and she puts this leotard on completely unprompted she hasn't really she's watched a little bit of Beyonce when she was young which I think has been influential but she absolutely loves <laughs> it and just the free the freedom of expression and I wonder sometimes in generally in life we, we sort of lose something do you feel that can happen in with dance and movement generally oh absolutely I think I think you know the example there of, of witnessing how children are able to just be in their bodies um and I think for, you know my understanding and through the research it's really about at that stage, children in general, infants, are less aware of other in terms of judgment, insecurity. Mm. So they're more able to just be. We forget how to be as we develop and as we go further into adulthood because we become, instead of being aware first, self-aware and then aware of other, we kind of do a bit of a shift where we become almost hyper aware of other and less aware of ourselves. And that is what inhibits us being able mm. to be embodied in ourselves which when we go back again to look developmentally we're all born with that capacity we're all born with the capacity to experience life and respond to life solely through movement you know before we can speak before our children learn to use words they're using their bodies to communicate so that is our core primal experience yet when we start to prioritize verbal language we start to separate from that very core ability and as a dancer and a psychotherapist generally that's when we start to find tension and challenges when we become almost like our bodies become separate to the way that our minds and our cognitions operate so like I said dance movement psychotherapy is about coming bringing those two things together not prioritizing cognitions or body-based experiencing but uniting them because mm. ultimately we're a whole person so we need to be integrated yeah absolutely my, my daughter's seven actually there's a lot of fear that she'll lose that sort of total immersion mm -hmm. and, that, and that worry about other people's opinions as she gets older and you know people yeah. with, a few years older with kids so you look at the, the mobile phone culture and stuff and suddenly that becomes mm -hmm. something but that's interesting do you think that the, the, the fear of other people's opinions and judgment that manifests itself in a sort of 
in a physical tightness does it that, that people feel almost restrained from what I'm witnessing yeah I think um so within my so within my practice my practice is split between private practice but then I also work in the NHS mental health services and there I work predominantly with um people who are currently experiencing a diagnosis of an eating disorder and so my work with, with that client group is very much to do with rebuilding their relationship with their body and I think at the moment we have well I don't think I know we've experienced a huge influx of referrals for those in need who are experiencing an eating disorder and I and I and I think that's to do with the way that our culture set up at the moment you know we're a very um we're very fast-paced we're very um like driven you know everything is not just about our business you know gaining um recognition it's about ourselves getting recognition but again it's very filtered um there's very little authenticity the way that we're operating now you know even this like i'm just really aware that we're communicating with each other literally our waist down are cut off and it's just our shoulders and our yeah. heads and in life we you know because of the way that things have shifted Mar masks as well you know at the moment just yeah. his eyes yeah yeah so we're becoming very um almost like compartmentalized like there's like bits of us that exist but existing as a whole person is very alien in many cases and and you know we know that ultimately we can't allow that to happen we need to find more space where integration is possible and yeah i think we're seeing it more and more in mental health referrals that the need to integrate is just profound at the moment it's brilliant watching you actually to talk because you were doing when, when you mentioned Beyonce you almost went into a little shimmy like like her and you're using your hands <laughs> a lot and you're very you're very expressive I suppose that comes down to it because other cultures are they is it right that you had I know your surname's sort of connected to, to Spanish isn't it you have Spanish heritage because I think of going my honeymoon was in Italy as well and you remember how just they oh. talk with their hands constantly it's it's interesting I noticed that women yeah. do it a little bit more in the UK but it's uh, I'm doing it actually at the moment actually sort of mimic, mimicking you I guess but it's interesting that <laughs> just that that's you like to say expression that we sometimes we, we lose yeah I think you know I think cultural roots are always very um kind of evident in how we how we are um so yes you're right I do have so my father's Spanish my mum's Polish although I was born and raised in the UK my my internal life my home life was very much um separate to the to the way maybe a a, a British family or a UK family might might be raised obviously mm. that's a massive generalization but I think culturally you know if we think about kind of our African brothers and sisters movement is such a core of their way of existing you know they celebrate through dance they mourn through dance they protest through dance dance is just it's like it's just part of who they are so me having this conversation potentially with an African colleague would be very different because there'd be less need for kind of explanation because it's just oh yeah, yeah I get that you know it's just part yeah. of it whereas yeah. introducing dance from its psychotherapy to the UK or in America even there's been a lot of stumbling blocks and you know we've been around for a while but the recognition has taken a long time to to gain I guess public trust in the method you know it sounds very oh what are you going to do just like do a zumba class or waft around like a tree how's that going to help me and it's been like yes okay mm. let's take away that stigma yes, <laughs> and yeah. let's look at the evidence and the science and I think you know the pioneers behind me who have done huge amounts of research to evidence basis as a psychological practice has really supported the weight of the science behind this as an intervention yeah what are the big um the big takeaways from from the science because i know in, in movement generally they're saying it can be preemptive against things like depression it can be then mm. almost a form of treatment against things like depression when people are suffering from it is it, is it a similar story with, with dance psychotherapy yeah so 
I think the biggest one is, um, again, if we go back to thinking about um, kind of more traditional, I guess, as we say, traditional um, psychotherapy, the verbal led psychotherapy, mm. we're, we're supporting a client to really process everything in the mind. So a very cognitive approach. Evidence shows us that actually, if we're to try and change some of those um, the signals that are being sent to us in our minds, ultimately it's helpful to start with the body first. So it's a bit like a bottom down approach as opposed to a top down. So we're looking at the body first to support shifts happen in the mindset. And that's evidenced by the way that our mechanics are. So basically our, our the neuromuscular pathways are basically joined from our mind to our body. So if we change the way that our body moves, the neuromuscular pathways are shifting in the way that our cognitions change. So uh -huh. for example, if someone is very tense in their body and they experience their anxiety, but they're not in a place to, to name why they feel anxious or notice patterns, if we start with releasing some of the rigidity in the body first, it allows the, the, the mind to shift to go, it's almost like an exhale to go, ah, okay, now that I feel a little bit more fluid, a little bit more grounded, I can begin to process and understand why I might be feeling anxious or ways to manage that anxiety. So instead of going straight into the mind, how are you? What are you doing? Why is it there? We're going, okay, let's just start with the body first. Let's release that little bit in the body. And then we can start to allow space in the mind to process. So I think that's to kind of not put it into too much jargon and kind of layman's term. I guess I think that's the the core of what the science is behind the way that the integration supports both mind and body in recovery. Yeah, so is it, is it, is it related to neuroplasticity and things like that, that you yeah. can change those patterns, yeah. Yeah, and also um, kinesthetic empathy. So that is quite a big word. So let me explain that into, if the listeners aren't familiar with that. So we know that um, mirror new, so if, so to go back to, you don't have to be a dancer to experience dance neuropsychotherapy. You don't have to have any experience in dance to, to enter into and feel the benefits of it. And what I am aware of most is this is definitely um, seen when I'm working with clients that don't have the full capacity of their body. So whether they're recovering from an injury or they, they have been um, in a wheelchair since birth or parts of their body um, are not accessible to them. Mm. Because of the mirror neurons that we, that, that process when we're looking at movement, if I was to watch you dance, Ed, but I was completely still <laughs> the same mirror neurons that I had the same neurons that are being fired in your body through movement would also be firing in my body just wow. from watching you dance and that is the mirror neuron science so the benefit of movement also in witnessing movement through the relationship of the therapist client can have the same psychological impact from just watching movement. I mean, it's a bit like if you go to the theater and you watch movement or, or you know, watch dance or whatever it may be. Yeah, like or listen to speech. Goes, yeah. Yeah, and the kind of, you're kind of on that journey with that person. What's happening there is mirror neurons being fired. And so we're using that science to go, okay, I don't have to actually have to enter fully into the, the movement experience to still get the benefit. And that's why movement psychotherapy is accessible to all, including those who are nonverbal, who maybe can't access therapy in the traditional sense, but they can access some of the therapeutic benefit of dance movement psychotherapy because of the mirror neuron science behind it. 
So, it, it, and is a lot of it about connection to, to other people that perhaps with this this lack of movement that we feel housed in a, in our body and we're not connected. Because it's interesting you say that because I remember when we're younger, we, you mentioned the clubs. We go to clubs, we do this kind of stuff. Then we become parents and things become different. And maybe the, <laughs> the odd wedding where you you might dance. But I think traditionally in the British culture, we don't have an outlet for it. It's not something that's you don't go to the pub and dance or anything like that. Mm. Do you, but it, when you think about it, it's an unspoken way of of bonding. And I think about friendships at university and just some of that that kind of um, endorphins that you that you share when you're when you're dancing yeah and the non-verbal cues that we're constantly giving off you know I think what I should say is as a dance room psychotherapist I, so when I'm introduced as a dance room psychotherapist I can feel people's bodies like tense up because they automatically think that I'm reading their bodies to kind of have some sort of insight into who they are and what they do yeah. um it doesn't quite work but we know we know that body language definitely is a signal of certain things um but it isn't always as clear-cut as this this posture or this movement equals this xyz but i would say that connection in general is hugely important to development of, of humans you know we know again there's studies to show there's a I can't quite remember the name of the study, but there was a study with um, orphans who were raised predominantly in isolation and the way their brains developed was very different to how someone who was in human contact. Um, so we know that connection and touch, I would say also like physical touch is hugely important to the way that our brains develop. And as we knew, like you mentioned the neuroplasticity, our brains are constantly developing. So it's not a case of when you get to the stage, that's it. We can constantly rewire those synapses and those neurons for us. With dance music psychotherapy, again, we're able to add that layer of touch without breaking ethical codes. Obviously, you may want to, in a therapy situation, hug your therapist or the therapist <laughs> might be compelled to hug you, but obviously the ethical boundaries don't allow that. Sure. In dance music psychotherapy, we do explore touch, but we explore it in a very sensitive way. So we might use props that elicit that experience of being held. I use a lot of um, stretch cloths and materials that people can lay into. I've had clients in the studio literally create dens for themselves and move in that very again childlike primal way but there was a real necessity for them to feel safe and to feel contained and to engage in experience of feeling held because in their life feeling held was actually something that ignited quite a lot of trauma for them they needed to re-experience that in a very safe and grounded way so yeah human connection and touch is profound and so valuable and I think especially with the pandemic we were really losing that more and more. Yeah, and with the pandemic, with the constant messaging and with modern life generally, it feels like we're very busy sort of mentally. We've got a lot of things to think about. What's happening tomorrow? What's happening later? What appointments have I got? How important is, is movement just in terms of immersing ourselves away from the mind because we're focusing on, the, on, the, on that sensation? Because the, one of the reasons I persist with five-a-side football is that when I go, even though I keep getting injured, when I go for an hour, I literally, there's no time. You're chasing a ball. There is no time to mm -hmm. think about anything, you know, yesterday tomorrow you're, you're centered how important is, is that with dance psychotherapy as well that actually feeling your body means that you're not thinking too much about sort of as you say cognition about other topics I think there's kind of a two I would say there's two answers to that question one is that yes I think what you're describing there is almost like a mindful a mindful activity so mm. you're entering into your football because you're in the moment and you're so present, you're able to, to just take a moment to pause from all of those other kind of pushes and pulls of life. And that's hugely beneficial and, and maybe even therapeutic for you. And there may be other things like horse riding or even a dance class that you, know, you enter into, it feels very therapeutic, you come away from it. So what I would say in that is, 
those kind of activities are definitely therapeutic and even cathartic, but they're not necessarily therapy. Within the dance movement psychotherapy experience, we may enter into those thera therapeutic experiences that allow us to just take some time out from all of that kind of angst that we're experiencing. But ultimately, what we really want to do is be in touch with our bodies whilst being aware of all those other pushes and pulls but not feeling like we have to respond to those pushes and pulls it's like i love this analogy of almost like sitting on a sofa and instead of kind of pushing all that other stuff away if i know you can't sit with me you're going all right just have a sit here but just be quiet because I'm, I'm doing something right now <laughs> so it's a, it's a way of being yeah. with those difficulties without the difficulties controlling your existence yeah, like standing to the side of a mental stream, people say, don't they? And watching things mm. come and go past you is a, is a yeah. beautiful image. How, as a parent, how do we preserve that sort of beautiful innocence and intrinsic connection to the body? Because my daughter does ballet now, which I'm, I'm aware she really enjoys, but I'm aware that there is a, a sort of evaluation process where you have to impress at some point the, uh, mm. the teachers in terms of getting your qualifications. How do you retain that? Is it is it sort of blanket, just sort of, praise you're not ever critical of your of your kid not that i would have any expertise on dance but do you know what do you know what i'm getting at how do you maintain that feeling that intrinsic connection with the body without the, the fear of other people's opinions i mean i think with everything when it comes to parenting and and i need to kind of disclaimer i'm no way shape or form like the the perfect parent you know i'm still very new to this but i think if i was kind of to put my developmental research hat on ultimately it's the best way that we can support a child with their experience of their body and through movement is modeling that relationship so mm. if they see someone moving just because they want to move doing sport because they want to not because it's it's to produce something or to achieve something we're kind of modeling a healthy relationship to just being in that moment ultimately also i don't think there's anything wrong with having um consistency with kind of drive and determination so long as the kind of the core of that is um driven by self-want as opposed to it mm -hmm. coming from kind of other directions the push and pulls of what the kind of expectations so i think modeling you know we all have a lot of work and me myself included on how we experience our bodies and how we relate to our bodies you know as a woman i'm constantly dealing with the the pushes and pulls of kind of expectation and aesthetic and mm. you know and all of that that we all experience and 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 feeling safe i think also i think as a woman feeling safe in our bodies and obviously with a daughter i really want to model that you know that we can we can find ways to feel safe in our bodies we can find ways to love our bodies it might not be all the time and it's okay to have that love and and difficult moments with our bodies so i think it's about modeling and and kind of unconditional positive regard you know yes it's great that you got that certificate in ballet but it's also just great that you turn up to that class every day good on you like well done for like putting on your leotard and getting in there but also well done when you get so i think it's about celebrating all of what that encompasses not just the points when they achieve yeah chasing more yeah and i suppose in life is chasing the mastery isn't it of the movement rather than someone else's opinion of it in a sense and that yeah. will naturally then in, naturally you'll progress anyway i think through through yeah. that, lots of walks absolutely of that's interesting isn't it i think do you think that women and i remember this as a young boy when when you're out in the streets as a teenager and there, there's a few scuffles and things like that there was a sense of tension but it, i suppose for a young man it's probably a limited period in our life but is that something that women feel constantly is that is that sort of tension that, that can infiltrate the body 
Tension in what, in what way? In a sense, you said about the, um, the the fear of the body and the, the sense of being evaluated, things like that. Maybe even real, we've seen the last couple of years, some of the illuminating stories with, with Sarah Everard, what followed was mm. women talking about that, that sensations that they have on a daily basis, I think, that people, well, men were unaware of. I mean, yeah, I think the body is full of, of tensions that, again, sometimes aren't even our tensions. They're almost like inherited from what is happening around us or, you know, even generationally I think it really like sometimes with my clients it's, it's very little to do with their experience of themselves and more to do with with what they've observed of what they've witnessed or, or even how they've been brought up so the layers are profound and we need to kind of look deeply into that but yeah I think like I said at the beginning I think the tensions in the body predominantly start from this feeling that the body needs is something that needs to be ignored and needs to be denied and suppressed like I think the suppression mm. of the body and even in within the males that I work with they have a lot of um uh, strong um kind of movement profiles in the way that they move um, and a lot of that is is anger that they haven't felt able to express verbally so it's kind of like held in the body and women also, but it kind of manifests in a different way. It becomes, instead of kind of opening out in this anger, we kind of start to close in and everything becomes like keeping safe and trying to protect ourselves. And again, I think it's just allowing ourselves to give, give permission to just be in our bodies amongst all the chaos that's happening around us, which, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I think we're still learning how we feel safe when actually the world feels very unsafe. Yeah, absolutely. I think anger can almost be like an amphetamine sometimes. Sometimes we can sort of ride upon it to sort of get through periods of our life, but then actually it can be quite destructive in the end, can't it, physically and, yeah. and mentally. How has this time, just circling back to the, the top, how has this time been for you? Because obviously you're a very, um, as you say, tactile person, you're, you're big on movement, you're big on interaction. How have your, have your, has your therapy been in this period? Has it been mainly through a computer screen and how has that been? Have you been able to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's, predominantly it's all been through the screen um which if someone had told me this was going to happen I would have said how is that ever going to work that's just yeah. the end of dance it's like therapy but actually it's it's incredible as a human race how we can adapt and how we adapt sometimes quite seamlessly in many ways, what I've noticed is that it's allowed dance movement psychotherapy to become accessible to more people in terms of my own private practice, because it's, it's meant that I've been able to work with people all over the country. So it hasn't had to be people that are local to me, literally all over the country and even indeed world. I've done collaborations linking up with America, um, Australia. So it's, it's really opened up the field in that way. And I've just been, I've just tried to be very integral to the essence of dance movement psychotherapy. I can only, we can only do what we can do. And I'm sure many businesses have been impacted by the need to go virtual. We are slowly moving back into the studio, but predominantly a lot of clients have just found it very accessible to, to do it through the screen because it means that they haven't had to commute to a, to a location. I think the confidentiality of that, you know, not having to wait in a waiting room and meet other people, they can just log on, do their therapy, log off. They're in their homes, the majority of them. So that space already elicits a great sense of safety for many, not for all, obviously, but being in their home and moving in that way has allowed them in some ways to move more freely rather than coming to a new space having to kind of engage in their bodies, talk about their difficulties, all in an environment they're not very familiar with. So yes, there have definitely been barriers, but there have also been very um, amazing kind of nuggets that actually we might not have ha had experienced if we hadn't have moved online. We're doing hu hugely valuable work, I think anywhere in this, this, this line of work. I actually had a friend 
well, friend of yeah, friend of a friend, one of my best friends' friends committed suicide last year. I think the lockdown's been mm-hmm. exacerbated a lot of a lot of issues, um, and it, I wonder with with men's mental health as well whether that's a particular issue with the, you know being such a significant killer of of, me, of young men, um, yeah. mental health issues. And it, it feels like you're, you're doing great work. Do you feel like the stigma around it is similar to the stigma of traditional psychotherapy? Is that is that diminishing now that people are are more open to dance psychotherapy? I think so yeah I think in general we're just there's just greater awareness isn't there um so yes yeah, stigma is definitely reducing however I would say that what I don't think is helpful is sometimes this um encouragement to be positive you know mm-hmm. that's the answer like yes I know that your mental health is struggling but just be positive or yeah, like see the smile. good yeah smile through it <laughs> yeah um, and if you like all this stuff about, um, you know, if you think if you concentrate on good things, good things will start appearing. And yes, I, you know, I know that there is there is um, for some people that is hugely empowering, but for others that can be very um, crushing, you know, yeah. almost like they're to blame for their mental health. So I think we are definitely in the right trajectory, but I also think we've got a long way to go, both in the recognition of mental health and what that actually means in terms of what's helpful and what's not helpful. And then also greater recognitions for what modalities of support, evidence-based modalities of support are out there. I think in general, we're still at the case where it's either medication or um, a, a therapy like CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and if those options don't quite um, match you or or it doesn't quite work and I'm doing inverted commas for work so I don't think it's about fixing or not fixing but if you don't uh, engage with either of those methods well or they don't fit your own lifestyle that can again also feel very crushing you know I'm, I'm not able to to find a way out and the methods I'm being offered aren't helping me so I think we've still got a bit to go to reassure people okay it doesn't matter if those things haven't worked out for you because there's still loads of other things that are evidence-based that can help you and I think again going back to that shifting between what's evidence-based practice and what's something that yeah might give you a little bit of therapeutic release but ultimately isn't therapy is a bit like a plaster we need Mm. to do the treatment not just the things that you know having a bath isn't going to cure depression in turn I think yeah. we get confused between self-care and therapy and as a culture we're not quite good at unpicking that yeah no I mean it's, it's powerful I've always just thought about movement as well as is that kind of catalyst for a change of emotional state which as you say then can open up your kind of emotions more clearly and you can you can communicate so it's, it's brilliant work I know you've got some sessions coming up Kimberly so I really appreciate your time but where can we find you follow you because people may be stimulated to, to get in touch with this I think I'm going to certainly try and do a bit more dancing with my daughter as well again you remind oh, me yeah do it do it I highly recommend it that kind of bonding is just yeah yeah profound so definitely definitely recommend that so um keeping in touch with me my website is moving through life um.co.uk and i'm on instagram and twitter and all of those um platforms um and you can find me at kimberly rdmp and in general um if there are going to be any events or workshops released that's the places that i would most likely um, advertise them um, but equally if you're an individual who is curious about how dance movement psychotherapy could benefit you then just drop me an email via my contact page on my website and I would love to hear and and see how we might be able to work together. Brilliant. Well, keep up the good work. Really appreciate what you're doing and hope to see you in person in 2022 as well. Hopefully a seminar or something would be great. Wonderful. (laughs) Thank Thank you, Ed, and thanks for having me. Thank you.
really enjoyed that conversation. Fascinating, isn't it? The, the sense of just enjoying movement, not fearing the judgment of others. I think that's particularly pertinent. It would feel like in dance. I mean, people will do something kind of robotic, like run on a treadmill around lots of people when they're in a gym. But the sense of maybe dancing in front of other people in a gym, would you feel comfortable doing that? Or would you fear that people think you're silly, flippant, uncoordinated, whatever it might be? These are probably just voicing my own insecurities, but I really find that fascinating. I'm going to try and dance more with my little girl. If she'll uh, have me, she will scoff at my uh, clunky movements, no doubt, but it's a good bonding moment as well and connecting, as, as she says. And I miss that dancing when we were younger, you know, when you're at university, you're going out drinking. You did it regularly, aren't you, after a couple of beers and you maybe we should do it without those beers, without the clubs, if we're not in a, in a position or a stage of our life where we go to them. So thank you to Kimberly for that. Moving Through Life is the website and uh, follow her on Instagram as well. I'll put a link to her Instagram account. Movingthroughlife.co.uk is the website with, with more information there. And I really appreciate the science there. and appreciate her time as well because I know she had clients coming up. So thank you to Kimberly Penner. Thank you to you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please rate it on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to it on. I believe it's on 12 now, including Spotify as well. And thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media or just Google Bang Olufsen Cheltenham and get in touch with the team headed by the uh, resplendent Jason Briggs. Good man. Uh, on that note as well, uh, through Serena, they always stress they can source you whatever equipment you're after, not just Bang Olufsen's fantastic stash. And uh, that's proudly presented in the shop in Montpellier here in Cheltenham in the west of England. And also thank you to Cytoplan, a food-based supplement company housed again in the west of England, not far from here, just up the M5 and across a bit in Welland. If you go there, you can get a discount from the website associated with the podcast, 30% upfront, 10% thereafter, if you're looking to optimize your immunity. And the code at checkout is my last name, Draper, D-R-A-P-E-R, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. So it's Draper 10R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you have a fantastic week and goodbye.